Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Well, sorry if I'm a little down today. I was reminded of the fragility of life this last week, and so not going to go into it more than that, but if I'm a little bit more dour than usual, well, I apologize, and hopefully next week will be better. As for this week, on the agenda, UFC and ESPN 44 was yesterday. That was uh, was a pretty good card, actually. We said, and the only thing I did negative was like, yeah, there's these light heavyweight fights back-to-back, which is not usually a good idea. And the flyweights got no respect, uh, which I still object to, but... On the whole, you know, it was a pretty solid card on paper, actually, and it turned out to deliver, for the most part. Uh, We'll go over that. UFC on ESPN 80 is this coming Saturday. That is headlined by Curtis Blades and Sergey... Not Spivak. Um, Because he's the... Spivak's the Moldovan, I believe. Moldova slash Ukrainian. Um, Pavlovich. The big Russian dude with... Dude. Pavlovich has stupidly long arms. He had like 84 inches of reach. It's freakishly long. Like, I think he's second only behind John Jones at the moment. And John's reach is, you know, ridiculous, so... We'll be previewing that. The news of the week. And there's some news. There's some news to talk about. So, yeah, we will get into any and all of that. If you would, please interact with the product a little bit. Uh, Like, comment, subscribe if that's applicable. Star rating, written review if that's applicable. If you've done any and all of that, share. Be that someone you know in person or on your social media platform of choice. Let people know about the show. If you think they'll enjoy it, point them in my direction. Uh, Always happy to try and, you know, entertain, educate, whatever it is I do, even if I'm... I've said this before, man. Even if I'm just the voice that you put on and something about my tone or whatnot happens to be soothing to your child. And you know, okay, here, two hours. Somewhere along the line, they're going to fall asleep and I'll be done. And if I help your kid get to sleep, I will take it every time. So that's what we got there. That's all the usual stuff out of the way, so let's get into this event, shall we? UFC on ESPN 44. Main event. Darn good main event. Uh, Max Holloway defeats Arnold Allen via unanimous decision. 48-47 and 249-46s. Okay, doing this live, I was 48-47 Allen. And before you come at me with your pitchforks, let me explain. Um, One... I do not stand behind my scoring of the fourth round in particular. Um, I, I got that one wrong doing it live. Mea culpa. That that was more of a that was a close round. Um, it should have gone to Max. My mistake. The fifth round. All the judges gave Allen the fifth round, and I'm not saying it's wrong. Again, I did it too. It's worth noting that he did get dropped right before the bell. Not, like, full-on dropped, but he got... We got at the very end of this. um, Alan, to Alan's eternal credit, like... His corner told him 
between rounds four and five, we need a finish. Which he probably did. Bare minimum needed the round, as we know now, wouldn't have been enough. It, uh, it wasn't even, he got the fifth, and, you know, again, I think across the board. And his response to his corner was, so it's World War Three, And, yeah, F it, World War Three. And he came out for that fifth round. Dude, you, if you even make it to the fifth round, I shouldn't say this, because a lot of guys have made it to the fifth against Max. But he knew, like, I'm down, I need a finish, and he came out and he was looking for it. He pushed things right away. He was he was landing not consistently all night, but he found Max's chin more than once. Uh, his left hand was landing at a, you know, a decent-ish clip. Max's chin just remains uncracked. Like, Max has a couple of records, um, I mean, some of which are just never going to be touched. He's landed more than 3,000 significant strikes over the course of his UFC run. He passed the 3,000 mark on this fight, actually. And the next closest is Frankie Edgar, I think, who has like 1,200. I mean, he's... Max is far and away like the most active fighter once a fight starts. Like, I mean, some guys who have more power than him will just, you know, turn your lights out, but uh, he just doesn't stop. But his chin is still... This is one of the things I was curious about. I think I picked Max. But I was, I'm curious about his chin because he's got a stat that's going the wrong direction. And that strikes absorbed. I brought this up last week when I talked about GSP. Because like, GSP in his last couple of fights before the Bisbing fight, he'd absorbed more strikes over the course of those like three fights. Which I think was, what, like Condit, Diaz, and then Hendricks than the rest of his UFC career basically combined. Like, he took a lot... That stat starts going in the wrong direction. It's not great. Max has... He, I believe he's absorbed more significant strikes than anyone in UFC history. I mean, he's just... He's just got a chin. He's never been dropped. Is the craziest thing about Max Holloway. He got close. Poirier almost dropped him. But didn't officially. Yeah, he's just otherworldly tough. And that's going to go at some point. It, it does for everybody. You know, nobody keeps that forever. And he's... But to this point, you know, Volkanovski hit him, especially their third fight. Volk hit him a lot. Uh, Yair Rodriguez hit him a fair bit. He just absorbed it, adjusted, put a decent enough beating on Yair in return, got some... You know, his wrestling was kind of the difference maker there. But Allen and Allen here, Allen cracked him several times. Holloway's head is just made of granite. I think it was Connor. I don't like quoting Connor McGregor here because he's so frequently just weird. But he said on Twitter, like, if you make it to the fifth round against Max Holloway, you should be allowed to use a bat. Like, just you can't. That guy just doesn't stop. Now. As mentioned, like Holloway's got a pretty good attrition rate of beating guys, but he's got a lot of fights that have gone the distance, too. Now, he's pushing back and doing the, you know, don't count me out thing, and fair play to you, man. You know, he looked good here. Max's movement is very smooth. This was his first win against a dedicated southpaw in his UFC career. He was 0-3 against them before this. Now, granted, that's Connor in 2013, was it 13 or 16? He would have been 16. And then the two fights with Poirier. 
so you know, he's losing to dude, nobody. Nobody was beating Connor on that ascension. Like, I think Max would be would have beat him if they'd rematched at any point. But at that point in time, like Connor was just Connor. And then Poirier, both times they fought, like Poirier's just a beast. Uh, so, but all, Alan being a dedicated Southpaw, I was curious, like, why did he struggle with Southpaws? Is it just because Connor at that point was, you know, on the Ascension and Poirier is just Poirier? I don't think it's quite that. I think at both of those periods of time, uh, the Poirier fights are so far apart, there's very few lessons that you can take between them. But I think my general takeaway is that uh, Holloway's finally gotten a little bit more comfortable with his kicking versus Southpaws when he wasn't before. And for as much as Max's offense is, we primarily think of the volume of punches, and they're... Dude, I've said this before too, man. I, I defy you to keep Max Holloway's output up on just a heavy bag to say nothing of, you know, sparring or actually fighting. It's absurd. But a lot of his setups for that come from his kicks. It's a lesson that he kind of learned from Connor, actually, when they fought, because Connor, I've said this about him too, Connor's boxing isn't great. His kickboxing, however, especially for MMA, is quite smooth. A lot of what he does, a lot of his setups for his punches come from his kicking game. And that's fine, you know, you're... It's MMA. You can do that. But fighting southpaws seem to have monkeyed with Max's kicking game for a long time. I don't know if it was just he wasn't all that comfortable fighting, kicking out of southpaw. He does other stuff from southpaw very well, but kicking out of southpaw, he wasn't quite great at it. Uh, I don't know if it was you know, open stance kind of messes with his jab a little bit, especially, again, we're talking, you know, Poirier and McGregor in particular, like, you don't get to make too many mistakes against those guys. But he seems to have... I noticed this in particular because I was watching for it. His kicking game against Allen seemed a lot more in line with what he normally does against a traditional orthodox fighter. So that seemed to have... And that opens up a lot of his game. His counter game is always strong. His movement... This was noted by commentary. I'm going to echo it. If you want to take one thing away from Max Holloway's game, watch how he moves. He is among the very best, certainly in the world right now, if not ever in the sport, at sliding. And again, watch how he moves. The man floats. He glides more often than not. His head is pretty level and he's just floating out there. And he moves just enough just enough to get you to miss, and he is in position to counter. That's... Because there's a lot of his stuff that his game that, like, it's it's really hard to replicate. I mean, I wouldn't advise fighting a lot in a lot of the ways he does if your chin isn't like his, and very few people have his chin. Again, he's been in the UFC forever. He's absorbed more significant strikes than pretty much anyone else, and he's never been dropped, and he has fought some guys with serious oomph. You know, Connor didn't drop him. Poirier didn't drop him. Volkanovski in three fights didn't drop him. Uh, dude, Brian Ortega hit him pretty hard. And Ortega's got power. Ortega couldn't drop him. Freaking Jose Aldo couldn't drop him. 
Like, I don't know what his head is made of. And he's going to wind up paying the price for this, I'm fairly sure. But he's just, he doesn't get hurt very often. His volume is still a problem. Uh, and yeah, he seemed... I still, I hesitate to say this because I'm not trying to poke the metaphorical bear here. I still think Holloway is probably on the downside. And let me be clear when I say this again, I'm not, I'm not knocking the man. He's still good enough to beat the, a lot of that division. I mean, Arnold Allen was undefeated in the UFC. Um, Holloway was a step up for him, but... You know, he's still good enough. If you're still good enough to beat a guy like Arnold Allen, like that says a lot about where you still are. He beat Yair Rodriguez not that long ago. Yair's now the interim champion, gonna fight for the full belt. Like, he's still very, very good. When I say he's on the other side of it, you know, this is a guy who's been in the UFC since he was 20. I mean, I did this last week. I'm gonna do it again. But his UFC debut was 2012. He's been in the UFC, February of 12, he's been in the UFC for over 11 years. He's in his 12th year in the UFC. One, that's rare enough. It's rare enough to have that kind of a long run in the UFC. And he's also, he's had some fights, man, that have just been wars, some fights that just went long. I mean, if you look at some of his earlier fights even, you know, the Poirier fight didn't go long, but he actually showed really good stuff in that fight. Uh, the Leonard Garcia fight was a little bit of a war. I mean, his big epic run, you know, that he kind of beat up Clay Collard. Uh, the Cub Swanson fight was a little back and forth, more favoring Holloway all the way through, but, you know, it was a little back and forth. Um, the Lamas fight, he didn't get hit nearly as much as Lamas did, but... A uh, you know, little back and forth. Both the Aldo fights were... I thought he... Not only did he finish Aldo both times, I actually... Um, third, The first fight between them, I had them around a piece going into the third. But, you know, Aldo won, I think, the first round in both fights officially. The Ortega fight, mostly that was him dealing, but... Not like he didn't get hit and hurt a few times either. Poirier, that Poirier rematch, man, at UFC 236. I mean, what a great fight. But Poirier put it on him. I don't think it's a mistake or an accident that in the wake of that, you know, Volkanovski was able to capitalize. Now, some of that is, you know, Volk is the man. But it's, uh, that fight was, you know, that's the kind of loss that winds up sticking with you in some respects, even just physically. Then he had the fights with Volk, you know, the Cater fight. I mean, that was mostly him dealing again to a historic level. The Rodriguez fight was a lot like that. There's a reason that fight made a lot of us kind of go, whoa, not just Yair is um, you know, a lot better than a lot of us were giving him credit for. But Max, you know. The best version of Max against even that version of Yair, it's not that close a fight. Then the the third fight between Max and Volk was... I mean, that was pretty easily the most definitive of their trilogy, right? So I still think he's probably... 
you know, a step back, all things considered. The relevant data here is that Max Holloway, even having lost a step from his best, is still one among the very best in the world. Uh, he's in a weird spot with the title. I mean, I don't have a lot of appetite for a fourth fight between Holloway and Volkanovski. I loved their trilogy. I really did. But I'm also me. And I just, I don't know that I need another one of those. Uh, so if Yair beats Volkanovski, which is not my prediction, but it's also not at all outside the realm of possibility, Holloway and Yair in a rematch. Very real possibility for him. He might also move, make a permanent move up to 155. You know, that, that cut to featherweight is not the easiest thing in the world for him. I mean, he's never missed weight. But if you've ever seen him, especially if you've seen him outside of, you know, fight week, eh, he would, what we learned from the Poirier fight was he'd have to make a concerted effort. He'd have to bulk up a little bit and, like, dedicate himself to, you know, leaving featherweight behind. But, you know, he hung in there with Poirier, man. That ain't easy. Poirier's one of the best in the world. So that's that's a thought. I mean, after the fight, Max Holloway said, you know, I would like to fight uh, the Korean zombie in Australia. Um, Chan Sung Jung has mentioned he would like to fight Max as well. Here's my thing about that. Like, that's not a competitive fight at this point. <clears throat> and to all the zombie fans out there, I'm sorry. I have immense respect for Chan Sung Jung. I have some very fond memories of his fights as well. But where he is now, I just... I don't think that's a competitive fight. They might still make it, and if... Look, if it's actually Jung's retirement fight, he's like, I'm going out after this. Last one. I fought Volkanovski. I want to fight Max. I mean, he's fought Aldo and Volkanovski. If he wants to fight Max and say, I fought with the three best featherweights of all time, and those are the three best featherweights of all time, I can respect it. I just, let's not have any delusions here about how that fight goes. Where Zombie is now, not competitive. If both guys want it and both guys seem to, and we all, again, we all kind of know the score going in, I can, I can, that's one of those things, like, I can kind of grip my teeth and bear it, but not competitive, not a competitive fight. Uh, Allen, you know, I don't think his stock took a big hit here. He stepped up to one of the very best in the world, and he lost, but he did not look out of place at all, at all. This wasn't quite as close as the... It wasn't as physically demanding as the Yair fight was. But he, again, he more than proved himself to be worthy of fighting with the very best. So, getting back in there, probably against another top-ish guy. Um, I mean, it, look, if Max wants a competitive fight next instead of Zombie, he would probably have to fight the winner of Josh Emmett and Ilya Teporia. Which, 
I mean, how could anyone object to that? Allen might get the loser of that fight. Or, again, if Volkanov, excuse me, if Holloway gets the zombie, maybe you could do Allen against the, it'd be tough against, to do a game against the winner of Taporia and Emmett. I think especially if it's Taporia. If Taporia wins and Volkanovsky wins, they might have to do Taporia and Volkanovsky. But Allen should be right in there with, you know, those guys at the very top. Uh, he acquitted himself very well here. So that was your main event. Darn good fight. This was not your fight of the night. I understand why. It's the one that I think I'm going to list as my, like, year-end discussion of maybe best fights of the year, but your actual fight of the night I thought was perfectly fine. So that was your main event. Co-main event. Oh, buddy. Oledson Barboza here. I I may have uh, I may have counted him out a little bit too early here. He knocks out Billy Quarantillo with a beautiful knee strike. 237 of the first. Um, these two got after it. Barboza, you know, had some good leg kicks like he always does. Quarantillo's pressure was working. He was landing punches. He was getting Barboza to the fence and making him uncomfortable. Unfortunately, Quarantillo got a little bit predictable. He backs Barboza up. He's starting orthodox. He throws a right front kick, lands forward, so a step-through kick, if you will. Follows that up with a right hand, same side offense. You love to see it. Both of which land, by the way. But he uses that to try and set up a takedown attempt. So kick, land forward, punch, drop. Looking for the double leg. And as he goes down, he's now southpaw. Rear leg of Barboza, even though he's kind of on the fence, is open. Straight lane up, knee to the face. Quarantillo drops. We're done. Uh, heck of a knockout from Barboza. I still think he's kind of, he's still kind of past it. You know, the book on him is pretty well written. That doesn't mean anybody and their dog could go out there and beat him. Um, incidentally, for those of you uh, who might be interested in some of the mechanics here, um, if you look at, historically speaking, um, Khabib and the people that came out of Abdulmanap's camp, they almost never went for takedowns like this. Um, they would usually, they would almost always, I'm sure we can find instances of Khabib doing it in, in the similar position, but I mean, he fought Barboza and, uh, but if you look at, there's an important difference here. Quarantillo, when he drops, he's either looking to just wrap for a double leg against the fence or he's kind of reaching. So I think he's going for the double legs. If he was going for the single leg, he wouldn't have had to reach the way he did. But his head's in the middle. And in straight wrestling, you usually kind of want that. It gives you some greater leverage and some greater force on your drive and whatnot. There's a variety of reasons. And I'm sure there's other wrestling coaches out there that teach the value of head outside. I'm not saying there's not value there. Again, this is one of those debates that, like, ultimately, you ask a dozen coaches, you're going to get a dozen answers. And what you wind up having to do is tailor your offense to how you wrestle best and how your opponent defends worse. But um, Abdulmanap had a philosophy about this. 
and you, this is why you see a lot of his guys shoot the way they do, he was always a proponent of head outside. This is MMA, essentially MMA specific. And he always said, go head outside because you can't get kneed in the face. You do open up guillotine attacks, but again, the philosophy here is I can fight off a guillotine. I can't necessarily fight off getting knocked out. If I get kneed in the head going down, I'm going to go down. So you can see some of the some of the his logic play out here. If what Quarantillo does instead of reaching the way he does, if he goes head outside, this would be to his own right, grabs at a single leg instead of reaching for the double like that, that knee it might hit him in the body, and that still wouldn't be fun, mind you. But he's conscious and he's still fighting. So little bit of uh and again, man, there, if you know you're fighting someone with a real wicked guillotine who doesn't have great knees strikes, okay, we reverse this, obviously. But, uh, I mean, Teddy Atlas had the observation, you know, in boxing, this is what the uppercut does. If someone's too aggressive, too consistently coming forward, you walk them into uppercuts because it disciplines them and makes them stay back or it finishes them. MMA fighters use elbows and knees to the same effect. And he's right. So, good win for Barboza. Uh, again, I still think he's past it. I still am not sure. He said he wants to fight someone up, someone ranked above him this time. Fair enough. I mean, he's still at featherweight. I still think a lot of those fights don't go well for him, but he's still very dangerous. He's still very capable, and the dude's been in the UFC for a long time doing some really spectacular stuff along the way. I mean... It, I saw somebody mention this, like, the knockout that he landed here, beautiful knockout. Like, this is the kind of thing that most fighters, like, this is what, this is like the highlight of their knockouts ever. Something like this. Like, this is one of their all-timers. <clears throat> I'm not entirely sure this is even, like, the fifth best knockout Edson Barboza has. Uh, it might be, like, you could certainly make the argument, but... His knockout of Terry Adams better and flashier. His knockout of Benil Daryush is actually a little bit flashier. Um, you could argue one of his leg kicks. Um, what was that body kick? He had that real gnarly got, uh, body kick stoppage. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Um, where are you? Uh, oh, the Evan Dunham. Dude. He folded Evan Dunham up like a lawn chair. Um, maybe even the hooker fight. Okay, that, that was a pretty gnarly knockout. Um, the Burgos one. The way he knocked out Shane Burgos, that was maybe more... Like, that's kind of the point. Like, the way he knocked out Billy Quarantillo, if you give that same knockout to most fighters that's one of their best finishes ever with old barboza here it's is it top five debatable it's but it's not like that's not his best knockout so uh sucks for quarantillo who was building some momentum but you know sometimes you wind up taking a step up and it doesn't quite work out uh, I think this is the first time he's been first time he's been knocked out. 
uh, cleanly. So I, I expect him to be back. Um, might have to take a step, a slight step back in competition, but he's still young. He's still got, he's still got some serious abilities. So, all right, light heavyweight. Um, Azamat Mirzakhanov defeats uh, Dustin Jacoby via unanimous decision, 20 and 20 across the boards. If Mirzakhanov can figure out his cardio, he's a real problem. He fights Southpaw. He's got power in his left hand. He dropped Jacoby in the first. I think he dropped him twice in the second. One was more like an off-balance thing. One was just he clubbed him. He's got good setups for his punches. Uh, his problem is his cardio. You know, he was visibly fatigued in the third. Uh, again, he's got a, if he figures that out, he's already a problem. Dude's undefeated. He's 13 and 0. He's got two wins in the UFC. Uh, he's good. If he sorts out that cardio and he gets a little bit, uh, if he gets a more diverse offense, he's a little bit left hand heavy at the moment. He actually cracked Jacoby with a really nice right hook at one point, but it was the only one he threw, I think. Um, some of the reason this went the distance is Jacoby is just hard-headed. I mean, that both the, uh, both the literal and the metaphorical sense. He ate some serious shots that would have put down a lot of other guys. Uh, so, Mirzakhanov still has some stuff to work out, but if he sorts those things out, uh, that dude's a problem for light heavyweight. Um, also at light heavyweight, Iwan Kutelaba defeated Tanner Bozier via TKO punches 205 of the first. Um, Bozier, he looked pretty good for light heavyweight. Here's kind of the problem with this. Um, there's kind of an assumption when people change weight classes, either, especially if you were too small for the one you were at and you cut down, or if you're you know, sick of a big weight cut and you move up. Uh, I heard Rashad Evans talk about this, uh, I think when he was on Morning Combat, either this week or last week. But he mentioned, like, it's okay to change weight classes, but you can't assume what you did before is going to continue working. There's, uh, there's differences. There, other fighters are different. You know, your body's going to be different. There's just adjustments that have to be made. You have to kind of feel yourself and feel out the division. And I think that's a true observation in general. And I think Bozier came in here, and he's used to being... Um, used to being the faster guy, and I don't think he was. Um, there's also... There's some habits you get fighting heavyweights that aren't applicable to light heavyweights. And some of that was on display here. Um, Kutalaba threw an overhand right that Bozier blocked. He went for the same setup, but instead of looping it overhand, he brought it straight. And you can see it. Uh, Bozier looks to raise his left his left hand. It's in guard position. He expects that punch to be a looping. And he raises the elbow up looking to block, and it leaves open the straight lane. And the straight lane is what Kutalaba takes. So, I expect Bozier to kind of figure himself out at light heavyweight, but you're not going to instantly, most people, are not going to instantly move between divisions and find tons of success. 
Especially if you jump right into fighting relatively seasoned opponents. Like, it takes time to figure divisions out. So, Kutalaba, he needed the win. Really needed it, and he got it, so good for him. Pretty good finish. Uh, Bantamweights. Pedro Munoz defeated Chris Gutierrez via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Doing it live, I think I kind of leaned towards Gutierrez. Uh, again, not one of those scoring decisions that I'm standing behind. Or did I give it to Munoz and just kind of... Look, the first round was all Munoz. He dropped uh, Gutierrez with a pretty powerful left. Rounds two and three were close. Um, they were very competitive. I don't object to Martin to uh, Munoz winning here at all. Um, lot, been a rough couple of weeks for the up-and-comers across some of these divisions, yeah? You had Allen here getting turned back, Gutierrez getting turned back. Um, who was it? Uh, Adrian Yanez last week got... It went to step up at bantamweight got turned back by rob font some of these old some of these old dogs man they're just not ready to give up their spot yet and gutierrez is i still think very highly of him um just a rough fight for him stylistically and you know a learning experience ultimately so hopefully he learns uh, yeah, good win for munoz uh was a good fight this fight, the crowd started booing this one, like, in the second and third round, and commentary got after the crowd, like, you know, these, this is not a boring fight. It was not a boring fight. Um, these two guys, I wonder if there was something else going on in the arena that was drawing some of the ire, because there was no reason to boo these two guys. Just none. And kicking off the main card, uh, Rafa Garcia defeated Clay Guida via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Guida couldn't get a takedown, and if Guida can't get a takedown, Guida can't win. He got beat up and busted up on the feet. Uh, Garcia's jab gave him problems. Garcia landed some good uppercuts. Just a solid performance from Garcia, beating an old man. Guida's 42. Um, interesting note. Guida might have uh, Guida might have drawn the ire of certain people. See, after the fight. Um, Daniel Cormier comes in, he interviews Garcia, because he's the winner. Guida is seen visibly taking off his gloves. And we had a double retirement earlier in the fight, earlier in the night. I'll get to it in a second here. Um, but Guida kind of looks like he's, after this kind of performance, you know, maybe it's time to hang him up. And this kind of induces the producers and Cormier to go over and go, sure, let's have a chat with Clay Guida. He might be retiring. And Guida then said, yeah, I tricked you by making you think I'm going to retire. No, I'm not going to retire. Uh, and then tried to do a post-fight speech and Cormier had to take the mic away and just... And apparently Dana White and some of the other people were not terribly thrilled with that, uh, with that behavior. Like, if you're actually retiring, they were, you know, Guida's been with the UFC for a long time. In fact, he was, I believe, the second longest tenured behind Ed Herman, who we'll get to in a minute, he did retire. Um, both of them came into the UFC in 06. Uh, Herman came in in, I want to say like July. June or July with that season, with the third season of The Ultimate Fighter concluding. Guida came in in um, October of 06. And I was, on a personal note, 
if you've listened to me for a while, you'll know my sort of antipathy and enmity in some respects towards Clay Guida. I was really hoping he was going to retire, because then he could go away and I wouldn't have to watch Clay Guida fight anymore. Um, alas, not yet to be. Though, if he really pissed off the wrong people, they might cut him. I mean, he's 42, he doesn't bring a whole lot of value anymore, they might just let him go. Which, uh, again, I would find... It would make me happy, but... The UFC doesn't do things that make me happy very often, so... Uh, good win for Garcia. This shouldn't have been on the main card. The flyweight should have been on the main card. Dana acknowledged it after the fact. Like, a lot of us were saying this earlier, buddy. You shouldn't have your presumptive number one contender flyweight fight buried on the prelims, especially of a fight night. But the UFC hates flyweights, so what are you going to do? Anyway, that was the main card. As for the prelims, Bill Algio defeated TJ Brown via rear naked choke, uh, 140 of the second. This was your fight of the night. Deservedly so. These two got after it. Uh, they dropped each other. Um, Brown, uh, crazy fight. Crazy fight. This, this is worth your time to look up again, especially since it's only, you know, seven-ish minutes. Um... Good win for Algio. Brown didn't look too bad here. Uh, they, they just, again, they got after it. Good fight. Algio, after the fact, faked retirement, cut a promo on the city. They were in Kansas City. Insulted the crowd. Pretty generic, cheap heat heel stuff, which, yeah, kind of worked. Got a bigger reaction when Daniel Cormier, walking out of the cage, said, Kansas City, you better boo this man. And they kind of went, yeah, all right, we'll boo him. Um, but Algio... Yeah, you know, he's a good fighter. He's had some setbacks. Um, he's had some setbacks in the UFC, but he's pretty good. Uh, flyweight. I already mentioned it. This is your presumptive number one contender fight. Uh, Brandon Royval defeats Matthews Nikolau via knockout, knee and elbows, uh, 209 of the first. Beautiful stuff from Nikolau here. Uh, excuse me, from Royval. I mean, Nikolau didn't look bad. But they're both standing orthodox. Nikolau had done the same combination a bit too often. Dips down, fires a jab, uh, and Royville intercepts him with a knee. Really nice knee. Uh, follows up with the right hand. Again, same side offense. Boom, boom. Gets on top, elbows him down. Uh, Royville's only losses in the UFC are to Alessandre Pantoja and uh, Brandon Moreno. Two men about to fight for the title, as Moreno was the champion. The fight with Moreno actually was, um, you may recall this, uh, they were having a darn good fight actually, and then Royval's shoulder popped out near the end of the first round, and it rendered him unable to continue. Um, so, unfortunately, because they were having, a, again, it was only a one round fight, but they were having a good fight. I'm down for him fighting the winner. Like get, he, I'm okay with him getting the next title shot. Um, Davis and Figueredo initially mentioned after he lost to Moreno that he was going to move up to bantamweight. He seems to have postponed that and said, you know, I'm get, I got a couple of more fights at flyweight. They're working on him versus Manel Cop. Heck of a fight, for the record. That's a heck of a fight. 
But with this win, I'd, I'd be okay with Royville getting the next shot. Um, he's good. He's got history with both men. It's going to be a good fight one way or the other. Yeah, good fight here. At light heavyweight, Zach Cummings defeated Ed Herman via TKO, punches, 413 of the third. Decent little fight here. Um, Herman's defense has never been great. Cummings just kept hitting him with left hands. Eventually, he hurt him, broke his nose, got him against the fence, and just unloaded enough until he finally like dropped for good. Both men retired after the fight. Um, Cummings getting a win in his hometown. The first time his daughter saw him fight. Uh, you know, feel-good moment. Definitely a feel-good moment. Herman retiring. You know, again, he I mentioned already, longest tenured guy in the UFC's history. No one's ever had... If Guida makes it to October, and I hope he doesn't, then he'll surpass this. But at the moment, Ed Herman, longest tenured fighter in UFC history. No one's had a longer continuous run than him. I mean, for context, when he got in at the Ultimate Fighter Season 3, both um, Chuck Liddell and Tim Sylvia were champions. If you want to feel old, because I, I watched that season of The Ultimate Fighter. Um, I watched that finale live, actually. Uh, he beat Kendall. He lost to Kendall Grove in the finals, but he had a better career than Kendall. Um, that's a middleweight. Yeah, Michael Bisping was on that same season fighting a light heavyweight. Um, and Bisping's been retired for, you know, a little bit now. Uh, the fight itself was fine. Kind of one-sided. But the moment afterwards when they both retire, you know, Herman got super emotional. I mean, the dude's been doing this forever. I mean, his professional debut was what? 2003. So, 20 years. Yeah, May 10th. So, just about exactly 20 years he's been doing this. I mean, you guys may not know this or remember this, but technically speaking, Ed Herman has a win over Glover Teixeira. Uh, he beat Glover in 2005. Um, wild sport, man. Especially those early days. You got some... There are some weird intersections throughout the history of it. You, you stick around it long enough. So, yeah, they both... Again, they both retired. Cummings may or may not unretire. Uh, Herman, I think, is done. Between age and miles and everything, Herman's done. So, again, a fun little fight for as long as it lasted. Um, Jillian Robertson, next up at strawweight, defeated Piero Rodriguez. Armbar, 421 to the second. Rodriguez didn't like the stoppage. So, Robertson out outgrapples Rodriguez. Whole fight. <laughs> Finishes, she's got Rodriguez mounted. She goes for an armbar. And Rodriguez looks like she tries the Brazilian tap and doesn't continue to tap. But the ref kind of looks at that. And then uh, the referee said it was a verbal submission. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the fighter says, I tap. They can. They can say tap. If you can't do it physically, you can do it verbally. But in MMA, a, a sound of pain constitutes a verbal submission. So she might have made a noise that would constitute it. Again, I it's not clear on the audio that we have. 
I'm fine with people treating the Brazilian tap like a real tap, for the record. If, you know, if you're not familiar with the Brazilian tap, people, um, if you're in a submission and it's a little bit tight, you can kind of, usually on the offside of the ref, you tap once, and you can then argue I wasn't tapping, I was fighting for hand position, you know, I was trying to pummel in. And if the other guy feels a tap, he might let go. The danger is if the ref sees it, he might, the referee might rule, no, that was a tap. They don't usually, this is one of those stupid things where someone goes like, well, that's why you have to tap three times. Like, that's kind of stupid. You know, nothing wrong. It's, eh, it's just weird. So I think she tried that and I don't think it worked. Uh, I was fine with this being ruled a submission for the record. So Robertson at straw weight. Uh, she wants to move up the ranks pretty quickly. Fair enough. Lightweight Daniel Zellhuber defeated Lando Venata via unanimous decision. 29-27, 29-28, 30-27. and Only one 10-8 in here. A little bit surprising. I thought Zellhuber actually absolutely deserved a 10-8 in the first. He dropped Venata bad. Uh, he had a long sequence of offense. They could have stopped it. I understand why they didn't, and why the referee didn't, but they could, he could have. He absolutely could have. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Venata rebounded okay, but Zellhuber's a big guy for lightweight. He's long, he's tall. He's got some smooth, he got some very technically proficient hands. Um, I know he had that uh, setback in his UFC debut, but he performed quite ably here. So, it's a pretty good fight. Uh, back to strawweight. Denise Gomes defeated Bruna Brazil via TKO um, punches, 242 of the second. Um, Brazil just, her defense, not where it needed to be. She had no real feel for the distance. Uh, anytime they traded, her head was straight up. Um, I mean, the, the finishing exchange here, they both land right hands, but Gomes is kind of braced for it. And behind her shoulders a little bit. And uh, Brazil is not. And she gets cracked much worse. Uh, Bantamweights. Gaston Bolaños defeated Aaron Phillips. via unanimous decision. 229-28-130-27. Fun little fight. I uh, don't remember too much about it. But Bolaños fought very well. Um, there, no, it was Her Herman got deducted a point for... Forgot to mention this about Cummings and Herman. Herman figured out a flaw in the judging system, or how the referee was doing things. Um, he landed an illegal up kick to Cummings in the first when he was on his back. So he's down, Cummings is in his guard, and he kind of kicks him in the face. And the referee warns him, give Cummings time to reset, and then they start back on the feet. He just didn't want to be on bottom anymore, so he does it again in the second. Referee takes a point, but still restarts them on the feet. Um... Uh, I feel like there was something between Phillips and Bolaños that I just can't remember. Uh, but, again, Bolaños looked pretty darn good here. And kicking everything off, Jocelyn at Terrible decision. So, Jocelyn Edwards misses weight and defeats Lucia Pudilova via split decision. These were 29-28s. Um, terrible. Terrible decision. Pudilova, I thought, had the first and... Did she get one and two, and then I think Edwards had the third? I think that's how I've thought it played out. Um, this was awful. 
Like, commentary buried this. I mean, you occasionally get commentary when they disagree with the decision. But they they straight up buried this one. Um, and I agree, man. Like, terrible. Terrible decision. Pudilova had... She not only had takedowns. She had one in the first and one in the second. She didn't only get the takedown. She got very superior position. And it's not like Edwards really let her up on the feet either. Um, I think they got this wrong. I think Pudilova got screwed here. Um, bad, bad decision. Bad decision. Uh, nothing else to say about it. Just awful. Um, not a single... Let me put it this way. Not a single media outlet scored this fight for Edwards. Now, I don't care all that much about, you know, media scores and whatnot as a general rule because, one, they don't matter, but, like, when nobody, nobody scores it the other way and two of the cage side judges do, that's a problem. Like, that's a real problem. Uh, this was This was a bad call. Straight up. Bad call. I, mean, I know that the relevant athletic commission won't do anything, but if I were Pudilova, man, I'd be... I might see if there's something I can do. Like, like what the heck? It was that bad. It was that bad. All right, uh, that was the event. 14 fights. They were kind of... They were kind of busting through them, man, and... Uh, look, 14's just too many. It's just too many. 14 and 15, just too many. You know, 12 is a pretty good number. Uh, so your bonuses, I mentioned already, fight of the night was Algeo and Brown. No argument. Performances went to Edson Barboza, Brandon Royval, and Jillian Robertson. Not going to object to fighters getting more money as a general rule, but might have gone Cummings over Robertson personally. Uh, Barboza and Royval, uh, no issues at all. I mean, yeah, just none. <laughs> those were those were some clean knockouts. So. Uh, yeah, that's the full event. If you want my live round-by-round scoring, which, again, I have somewhat disavowed here, um, you can find it in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, along with clips of the finishes. Pardon me. Clips of the finishes and, you know, again, my live scoring and whatnot. Full report, MMAZona411mania.com. Give it a read if you're so inclined. I always appreciate it. Alrighty, let us move on to UFC, we'll preview UFC and ESPN Plus 80. I mentioned it already, main event, Sergei Pavlovich and Curtis Blades. It's a pretty good fight. So I mentioned already, Pavlovich, again, stupid long reach. 84 inches, he's 6'3". He's a block of Russian power. His only loss ever was his UFC debut when he got paired up with Alistair Overeem, which is a heck of a debut. Um, since then, he stopped everybody in the first round. So Marcelo Gold, Maurice Green, Shamil Abdurahimov, Derek Lewis, and Tai Tuivasa. Um... He's going to have his hands full here, because Curtis Blades is tough. And one of the most dedicated wrestlers that exists in the UFC. I mean, 
in fairness, like, and Blades only has, he's only lost to two men. Francis Ngannou, twice, and then Derek Lewis. Um, okay, the Aspinall fight was weird. I mean, that, this took, that was last year, and Aspinall blew his knee out 15 seconds into the fight. Um, that was, that was that weird stretch of time when it was like three events in a row were in very close proximity, all of which had either main events or high profile fights that end, ended due to just kind of random knee injury. Cause Rakich and Smith was around the same time. Not Smith, Blahovich. Rakich and Blahovich was around the same time. And then in somewhat close proximity, you had Cater and Allen, which ended in the second um, logically, this is Blades. Doesn't mean I'm going to pick him, but logically, it's Blades. He's proven to be a very, very tough fighter. Pretty darn durable. Hard to beat. One of the best wrestlers in the division. A relentless takedown threat. Can fight for five rounds. Not at the highest pace, but he can do it. If Pavlovich doesn't get him out of there in the first, I would pick Blades. Um, here's the thing. Blades is a little bit predictable going in for the takedowns, and if Pavlovich is smart, he'll time the uppercuts to that. Um, I'm going to pick Pavlovich here. It's, it's counter-logical. Again, logically, this is Blades. But, I don't know, man. Yeah, I think it's Blades. It's it's close, but I think it's Blades. Not going to be surprised if Pavlovich pulls it off, but the longer this goes, the more it favors Blades, as a general rule. And, uh, you know, that's not always the best sign. You can blitz through a lot of heavyweights, but when you the first time you run into some of those people that you can't, things tend to fall apart. So going with Blades, but not a bad main event. We're not quite sure what's up with heavyweight because John Jones is the champion. Um, John and Stipe is theoretically in the works, but it's not going to happen international fight week in July. John's currently saying, you know, fighting the greatest heavyweight of all time. Stipe is not the greatest heavyweight of all time, but he's the most accomplished UFC heavyweight of all time easily. You know, doing that, beating that guy in Madison Square Garden in my retirement fight, you know, that's uh, that's looking pretty good. The UFC does, you know, they do have another event kind of scheduled for Madison Square Garden later in the year. They usually do another one around then. So that's, uh, that's possible. But it does leave the heavyweight division a little bit awkward. You've still got Gone, who's very good. Tuivas is still kind of hanging out there. Derek Lewis, no one quite knows what's up with Lewis. So Pavlovich and Blades are both in the conversation, but we just don't know what exactly is going on at heavyweight at the top, so who knows. Uh, next up, Bantamweight, Song Yedong and Ricky Simone. Uh, Song coming off of that loss to Corey Sandhagen where his... Dude, his face got carved up. His right eye was a mess by the end of that. Bad cut. Eye swollen. Uh, there's a fair stoppage there. Simone. <sighs> and that weird loss to Uriah Faber. Then he lost to Rob Font. 
Uh, the fight with Ray Borg that took place after that was... I don't recall who I scored that for. It was a split decision. And I think it was one that I th probably could have gone either way. But his last couple of fights, he's beaten Rafael. He's on a four-fight winning streak. It's Borg, uh, Gaetano Perello, Brian Kelleher, Rafael Asensio, and then Jack Shore. So he's on a pretty good run. Song's tough, though. It's hard to take him down. It's harder to hold him down. He's got power. <clears throat> it's a tough one. It's just a tough one. I think I am going to lean Song. That'll be the last time I do this, but I think I'm going to lean Song at the moment. Song's also fought better guys. I mean, Simonia, he has the font fight, but since then, it's kind of been building back up, which is not a, not a wrong thing to do, but... It's what he's been doing, so. Gonna go with, uh, I'm gonna go with Song, but that's close. It's not a bad fight. Middleweight, Brad Tavares and Bruno Silva. Brad Tavares. Another guy's been with the UFC for quite some time. Uh, yeah, debuted in 10. So, 13. 13 years. Been in the UFC. Uh, coming off that loss to Dracus Duplessis. I don't know. It kind of feels like Bruno Silva here, doesn't it? I mean, Silva had that tough fight with Alex Pereira. He lost. Uh, that might have cracked his chin a little bit. Because Mershart after that, you know, he kind of gave Mershart the business early and then faded and Mershart cracked him and choked him. I'm going to go with Silva here, but this might be the last time I... Might be one of the last times I pick him. Um, if he if he's really in trouble, then Tavares beats him. Lightweight, this is a fun one. Bobby Green and Jared Gordon. Uh, good old Bobby Green. Um, had that tough fight with Drew Dober, man. Uh, he and Dober kind of got after each other, and he just came out on the wrong end of it. Because Dober is cinder blockhead. Just can't hurt him. Um, I, mean, I like Gordon plenty. Yeah, that, uh, he should have beat Patty Pimblett. I mean, that fight at UFC 282, just, he should have won that fight. Just, it wasn't that hard to score, and they botched that horribly. I think I'm going to go with Green here, though. Um, this is just a style thing. I think, I think Green Lee does enough stuff that might give Gordon problems. Uh, women's strawweight, we have Yasmin Lucindo and Brogan Walker Sanchez. Um, Walker Sanchez had that loss to Juliana Miller. Um, yeah, that was a rough loss. And she's losses to Pearl Gonzalez, Aaron Blanchfield, and Juliana Miller. I don't know. If she can't get by you, Lucindo here... I think I'm still going to go with Brogan, but... Yeah. Welterweight, Jeremiah Wells and Matthew Semmelsberger. That's a kind of a fun fight. Um, Wells knocked out Court McGee. He's 3-0 in the UFC on a five-fight winning streak. Um, Semmelsberger's been up and down in the UFC. Coming off a pretty good win, though. Um... This is a fun little fight. I think I'll lean Semmelsberger, but... Uh, how long has Wells been out? Hang on. 
June of 2022 when he fought Court McGee. <clears throat> Might actually be Wells. I'm still going to lean Semmelsberger, but not by a lot. On the prelims, so that's our main card. Prelims, we have Ricky Glenn and Christos Yagos. Uh, it feels like a Rick Glenn pick. He's been out for a while, though. He fought Grant D Dawson to a majority draw in October of 21. What's he been doing since? Uh, suffered a torn groin. He was supposed to fight Drew Dober. I hope he's better, because that's... Those can be nasty. Those can be just tough returns. Um, Yagos... Yeah. I mean, his losses in the UFC are to Charles Oliveira, Dracar Close, Armin Soyuki, and Thiago Moises, so he's not losing to bums. But I think this is a Glenn pick. Uh, Bantamweights, Ronnie Yaya and Montel Jackson. Good old Ronnie Yaya, man. Still out there getting it done. Guy gets no respect. No respect for at all for Mr. Yaya. I actually think he wins this. Do I? Yeah, screw it. It's an emotional pick more than anything else, but I'm going with Yaya. Uh, women's featherweight, Carol Hossa and Norma Dumont. Um, we also got lucky on that majority decision win over Lena Landsberg. Because uh, she was, she had a point deducted. That could have easily been a draw. Dumont lost that fight to Macy Chasson. That was a rough one. Uh, I don't know. Flip a coin. Maybe Dumont. Yeah, sure. Pick Dumont. Uh, heavyweights: Mohamed Usman, the brother of Kamaru, and Junior Tafa. Um, feels. Double check Tafa here. If that is. Okay, this is not the guy I was thinking of. I believe I was thinking of um. Think of the other Tafa. Yeah, okay. I think he's the brother of Justin Taffa. Might be wrong about that. Um, if this was Justin Taffa, my pick might be different. Um, as it stands, he's trying to make his UFC debut here. He's supposed to fight Waldo Cortez Acosta. I think it's Usman. I, I just think it's Usman. Uh, let's see. Next up, Francis Marshall and William Gomez. Uh, Gomez is 1-0 in the UFC. He beat uh, Jarno Aarons. Yeah, he beat Jarno Aarons. On a pretty good winning streak, actually, overall. Um, whereas his opponent, Francis Marshall, 7-0. 1-0 and in the UFC. He beat Marcelo Rojo. Hmm. Actually, I think this is... 
I think this is Marshall. Not by a whole lot, but I think it's Marshall. Um, Priscilla Cachuea, still employed by the UFC for reasons that make no sense to anyone. Uh, she's won her last couple of fights. She's fighting Karine uh, Silva. Silva, 1-0 in the UFC, on a, what, six-fight overall winning streak? Uh, yeah, she beat Poliana Botelho. I don't, I don't think I picked Cachoeira to win at all at this point as, like, general principle. I'll go with Silva, but, eh, who knows. Bantamweights, Brady Heastead and Dana Batgari. Um, Heastead is 6-2, and 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Yeah, he dropped that, um... That uh, tough finale to Ricky Tercios and then beat Fernie Garcia. That was not a great performance from him, though. I like uh, Batgari. He's three and three in the UFC. He's had some. He's had some tough fights, man. He was doing well against Gutierrez before that spinning back fist. Uh, the Kyung Ho Kang fight was pretty competitive. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking we're gonna pick. I think we're gonna pick Bakary, but and it might be a bit more sentimental in terms of picks than I should be going, and I should know better. Uh, yeah, that's the card. So that's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen fights. Yeah. I will be covering it, of course, Friday or Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So if you're interested, stop by, say hello. Always appreciate it. All right, let's move on to the news. So it's been made official by DAZN Boxing. Jake Paul will box Nate Diaz. Um, I don't really care. <laughs> Look, Paul's the bigger man physically. Paul's the harder puncher. Diaz's volume might trouble him. Uh, we saw this a little bit in the fight between Paul and Tommy Fury. Most of the guys that Paul has fought to this point were content to let him set up a little bit. Fury didn't. Um, Fury kind of just worked enough combinations, worked enough, you know, stopped letting him set up at a slower pace, never let him get really comfortable. Uh, so Diaz might be able to do something similar, but Diaz's face is also like 80% scar tissue at this point. So, who knows. Um, my, in general, my patience with this kind of freak show boxing has worn really thin lately. And that's not just Jake Paul, it's kind of a general thing. Uh, I mean, there was the, um, was it that YouTube did, or the, the Creator Clash, which at least was for charity. Man, that rubbed me the wrong way this time around, and I figured out why. So, the clips and talking points were floating around Twitter, and uh, some people in my other social circles, such that they exist, cared about this because of some of the people involved. And so, you know, I got a few bit of... I ran into this more than once. The I didn't really have time to watch it live. When's it going to show up? 
Where is it going to show up? I want to watch X. And in response to one of these, both my my patience didn't fully snap. But I said, you know, I'm sure this will wind up on YouTube in the next week or so. I mean, legally, even. Like, it'll just be on YouTube. But if you're curious, you know, low-level boxing all kind of looks the same. Which is true. And it got me into a little bit of a back and forth with this guy. <clears throat> and nothing... I had to stop myself at one point. Uh, like, I guess one of his responses with, you know... Uh, he kind of explained... He, I don't think English is this guy's first language. So, I'm being charitable, like something gets lost a little bit in translation here. He said, you know, I wanted to watch this fight. And because, and I, and I almost said something um, that would not have been helpful. But I stopped myself and had to go like, okay, why is this bothering you? Right? Like, this is, because normally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very even-keeled guy. So why is this, you know, this innocuous guy on the internet who's just asking for kind of baseline information, what's, you know, what's pinging here? And I, I figured it out. So let me tell you why my patience with this has worn very, very thin. It's not the... I don't object to people who are independently wealthy trying this out. I'm not one of these, like, no fighting. You know, I, I don't buy into the honor BS about this, about fighting for money. One of the reasons I don't begrudge Jake Paul doing it. Like, you want to go out there, you want to put in the effort, you want to fight, fine, go ahead, knock yourself out, or get knocked out, as the case may be, but, you know, whatever. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to avoid the Jake Paul fans, I think, by and large, otherwise this might have ero- my patience with this might have eroded a lot faster. But the number of people who do the... They don't actually care about the fights... They don't care about the technique. And again, for the Creator Clash people, like, this was for charity. So, this isn't, you know, the wealthy trying to get wealthier. But, and my gripe is not with, my gripe's not even with the people who got in the ring and fought. Like, good, fair enough, man. You know, there were a bunch of people I didn't know. There were some people I did know who were on this thing. I mean, the, uh, the professional wrestler, Johnny Wherever. Better known as, like, John Morrison in WWE, but you know, he was Johnny Nitro for a while. Uh, then on the independent scene, he's Johnny wherever. So he's Johnny Impact, he's Johnny Fusion, he's Johnny Elite, he's Johnny whatever. Johnny Bloodsport, you know, again, whatever. Um, he had a f- fight and he knocked somebody out, so, you know, good for him. It's just... And again, this is all done for charity, which is why I don't begrudge. And I don't begrudge anyone who says, you know what, I want to try boxing. Okay, cool. Go ahead. And you're doing a celebrity charity boxing event like this shouldn't bother me. And I realize it's not the fighters. It's not the people going and doing this. It's more the subset of their fan bases that get online. That's what annoys me. Because these are the people who will do the... I just want to see so-and-so do the thing because, boy, they sure put in effort. Like, one, you don't know that. You know a facsimile of what's, of what's going on filtered through a dozen lenses, not, only, not the least of which is what they want you to see. 
followed closely by your personal bias for and or against, depending on, again, who we're talking about. And it annoyed me because, and again, I, it took me a minute to sort this thing out. It annoyed me because I know of way too many fighters who put in a lot more work over a lot longer period of time than these people who are doing this for, again, I'm not saying there's no personal stakes in it or that they didn't train hard, but these are independently wealthy people who are used to being professionally charming. Exploiting that, I mean, exploiting, again, this is charity, but I know way too many people working way too hard at this who are ignored, demeaned, belittled, uh, because they're not a, a, they're not independently a celebrity. And encountering that subset of the fans of some of these people, it really, it really did kind of, between that and like, and stuff about just, you know, the, the knowledge about how put upon fighters are, especially MMA fighters. I think I know this is boxing, but it's all, it's all kind of wrapped together here. Like it just, it really wound up rubbing me the wrong way. And a lot of my patience for this entire circus is real thin these days. Which is a long way of me saying, if I happen to snap at anybody over this, I apologize in advance. It's not really about you necessarily. And just a lot of the, a lot of the fans coming out and just, you know, I know that my favorite person who I've never actually met and will never meet in any meaningful capacity just tried so, so hard, and maybe they did. But my personal level of interest in your simpery over independently wealthy people finding good locations that other fighters would kill to get into, training for eight weeks and then going on to perform amateur boxing, which is what, I mean, these might have been professional fights, but this is amateur level boxing, for, even for charity, but like on a stage that is utterly unearned within the meritocracy of the, of, of the activity you're performing, it annoys me. And I try really hard not to take it out on people. I, once I figured out what was going on within me, I was like, okay, stop. You can say something helpful. You can not, you know, I don't need to be a jerk. I don't need to make this worse. I don't need to escalate this. And also in knowing, like, okay, this is the natural endpoint of various interactions. Like, just, there's no point in continuing. It's not fruitful. So, the Jake Paul and Diaz thing, again, I, I give Paul a little bit of a pass relative to, I mean, I know he's getting paid, but my thing with Jake Paul this entire time has been, I know he takes his training seriously and he takes these activities seriously. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying anyone at the creator clash didn't, you know, it's just that kind of, the entire result of that activity, some of those personalities and the subset of their fan bases that become vocal about it. Like it's, it's not a, it's not a good mix. So, uh, but Diaz and Paul, I'm sure it will do fine. I am, I don't know who wins. My hunch is Jake, my hunch, but he's got a, 
there are some aspects to his game that were exposed by Tommy Fury that he needs to fix before this fight, or Diaz can exploit similar holes. All right, let's do the rest of this. we got a couple other things here, but it shouldn't take too much longer. So TJ Dillashaw, the former Bantamweight champion, announced his retirement via Instagram. Um, apparently his shoulder is just too messed up. Um, which a lot of us said. I mean, I remember my reaction. You can go back and listen to their show if you're so inclined. The fallout of his title fight with uh, Aljamain Sterling, which was... Double-check the event, so if you're interested in listening to that, you can listen to my review of UFC 280. Um, he said his shoulder had been falling out since, like, April, right? Hey, when was that? It was October of last year. So he said, I think it was, like, April, he said, that his shoulder first started falling out. So you, your shoulder is just turning to gravel over the course of, you know, half a year. You know, yeah, he had surgery to fix it, and apparently it didn't take. I mean, dude, you were never going to get that fixed with one surgery if it was as bad as you said it was. If that thing, if that shoulder had been falling out as often as he said it had, and there's enough people saying basically the same thing, I believe it, and it was doing it over that long a period of time, one surgery was never going to be enough. Even if that first surgery went great, they were never going to fix that in one. So apparently, again, according to his Instagram, that first surgery wasn't even all that successful. They're going back in at his age. He kind of tried to walk it back after and said, man, I feel like I'm too good to hang him up forever. I appreciate the competitive fire. I'm not a fan of TJ Dillashaw, but, you know, I appreciate the competitiveness. Here's the reality, though, dude. You are... 37. You're 37. In a, in a division that hates anyone over the age of 35. Especially at the title level. And you just probably irrevocably damaged your shoulder over the course of the year 2022. In ways that will impact you for the rest of your life which is probably going to be 40-some-odd years. I respect that you may not have wanted to go out that way. You might have to process the fact that you didn't feel you were done, but you're done. Like, you're, that arm is just never going to be right, ever. So, he's the second-best bantamweight ever, in all probability. Um, but, yeah, he's, I said it at the time, man, I think he's probably done. At his age, with that injury and the recovery and the, like, no, I just think you're done, man. Uh, lastly, I can talk briefly about this. So, Benil Daryush and Charles Oliveira had to be withdrawn from the event it was set for. Looks to be, um, there was a minor injury to Oliveira. It looks like they're rebooking it for... UFC 289. Um, kind of hoped they would just bump Daryush into a title fight, but I don't know what Islam Makashev's schedule is right now anyway, but um, I mean, I don't hate them rebooking it. You know, 289's not 
What's the event they've got coming up that's suddenly looking real bad? Hang on. Um, 288, actually. 288 is not a strong card. You have a good main event, Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. But you don't have anything else. Um, what else are we looking at for the main card? I mean, we were supposed to get this. This was what um, Oliveira and Doish was supposed to be on, which was a worthy co-main event. With it gone, um, the co-main event is now what? Jessica Andrade and Jan Shaunan? Um, maybe Bryce Mitchell and Movsar Evloyev? I mean, that's a fine fight. But... And they're going to have to shuffle this around. At the moment, there's only three fights on the main card. Sterling and Cejudo, Jan and Andrade, and then Kron Gracie and Charles Jordan. You don't even have a lot of, like, if anything happens to Sterling and Cejudo, you're SOL, man. There's nothing else on this card worth paying for. That is not a strong pay-per-view. Um, 289, again, they're rebooking uh, Daryush... I mean, that's headlined by Nunes and Pena 3, which nobody cares about. Um, that's not an especially strong card either. What else do we have? Steven Thompson, Michelle Pereira. Fine. Jeez. That card badly needs some help. I mean, Oliveira and Daryush will help a lot. That's a very good fight. But the other stuff on this card is like Miranda Maverick and Jasmine Jastavicius, Eric Andrews, Marc-Andre Berrio, Deanna Belbicha, Maria Oliveira, Kyle Nelson and Blake Builder, Matt Schnell, David Dvorak, Dan Ige and Nate Landwehr is fine, Hakeem Dawadu and Lucas Almeida, who cares, Eamon Zahabi and Orichi Long. That's just a weak card. Sorry. I mean, we might get some good action out of it, but that's not a very compelling card. So both the next pay-per-views, not, not exactly, uh, not exactly tickling the old fancy, eh? All right, uh, that's all I've got written down here. So let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy in the MMA sphere is broken since I've been doing this. And if not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right, nope, nothing new. So if you're interested in stuff I do outside of the combat sports world, I am part of Damn You Hollywood. I am nominally the host. This last week, we reviewed the Super Mario Brothers movie. Biggest movie of the year thus far. Uh, by a wide margin. It is going to leave Ant-Man pretty firmly in the dust. And I'm going to laugh at it. Uh, I laugh at Ant-Man for a lot of reasons. But that's doing well, so you can find the review for that over on the W2M Network feed. You can type Damn You Hollywood into your podcast platform of choice, and you should be able to find it. This week... Myself, Mark Radulich, Alexis Haina, and I believe Dorian Price will be reviewing Renfield. Uh, Jason Teasley as well, so five people. So, yeah, the five of us will get together. We will review Renfield, which sadly did not have a great opening. Uh, that's the Nicholas K, Nick Cage slash Nicholas Holt slash Aquafina movie. Sorry. Aquafina is a funny comedian. She has not yet proven to be a funny actress. That's all I'm saying. We'll be reviewing that on Tuesday. So, Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, if you're so inclined. Give that a listen. We'll be talking in Renfield. 
Week after that will be Evil Dead Rise. I bullied Mark into a horror movie. I feel good about that. Um, well, a gory horror movie. Like, Renfield, I'm sure, is a technically horror. Anywho, that's where you can find me doing uh, other podcasting stuff. As for my more regular gigs, I cover mixed martial arts and professional wrestling for 411mania.com, AEW's Dark Elevation on Mondays, WWE SmackDown on Fridays, and the UFC event on Saturday, so stop by for any and all of those in the relevant zones at 411mania.com if you're interested in my thoughts on professional wrestling and mixed martial arts action. We will be back here next week. We will review UFC on ESPN Plus 80 and preview, preview, preview UFC on ESPN Plus 81, which currently does not have a main event. It was supposed to be main evented by a great fight between Hanato Moikano and Armin Saryukian. Moikano got injured, pulled out. We don't know if someone's replacing him or not. Um, what does that card look like? Yeah, it ain't great. Um, yeah, not great. So I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're going to do for that one, but next week we'll have, we will know more. So we'll be back here next week to talk through all of that. All right. That's it for me. Thank you all very, very much as always for listening. I deeply appreciate all of you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe and behave.